It's July 22nd, 2021. This is Rook. not enough of a challenge to grow up as one of the few Persian kids in the red state American South of the 80s and 90s. How about adding to that being non-binary and queer long before those terms and LGBTQ people were widely accepted? Kayvon Zand faced all of that and the added layer of Iranian community attitudes and being different from the social stereotype of quote-unquote normal. But Kayvon has emerged with strength as a provocative and stylish musical performer and has a big social media following to boot. Kayvon Zan joins us today to speak truth and to discuss the realities of growing up Persian and queer. This is conversations from, to, and about the Iranian diaspora. I'm Gian Gomeshi. This is Rook. Hi there, welcome to episode 129 of Rook. Hope you are keeping well wherever you are tuning in from around the world. Salam, Dustan Aziz, Durud, Mizun, Khub, Ali. That's all I know. It's the list of words that I say each time. Uh, hello to you uh, from Toronto, Canada. I'm Gian. There's Captain Reza. Hello, sir. Hubi. That's the way I normally speak to Shia. I, thought yes. I, tried to. I know, I was trying to imitate Shia. Too. Yeah, you didn't do a very good job. Yeah. And uh, Groovy Shia, hello. Hello, sir. <laughs> good one. The worst impression of Reza. Hello, sir. Uh, Kiana's away today. She got her second dose of Pfizer. Mm. And uh, did I say Pfizer? You Pfizer. Did say Pfizer. Yeah. <laughs> Pfizer. <laughs> a close relation to Pfizer. And she, uh, I guess she's suffering the side effects. Yeah. So she says, anyway. <laughs> Might be out for a drink somewhere. Probably. We are, uh, so we miss you, Kian. We are uh, get to uh, get well or enjoy your <laughs> vaccination. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, we're coming to you on rookmedia.com. It is there that you can link to all of our platforms. Um, rookmedia.com is the site uh, the, that the handiwork of Ponta the Artist on our team. We're, we are on our uh, ongoing mission to build a new audiovisual encyclopedia of Iranian diaspora identity. We are coming to you on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and CastBox. If you'd like to see some visuals with Rook and see us on social media, switch over to YouTube or Instagram right now, Rook Media. And if you like your Rook descriptions and bulletins in English and in Persian, check us out on Telegram. Kayvon Zand coming up today uh, in just a few moments. Um, very unique and provocative performer and artist. Uh, and, you know, as well as being an important voice um, as a non-binary and queer member of our diaspora. Uh, Kayvon has a huge uh, social media following and this really engaging story of growing up in North Carolina mm -hmm. as a self-proclaimed Persian redneck <laughs> and now 
having a family and kids, as well as continuing to be a nightlife personality and musician. Uh, Kayvon Zan joining us from Jersey City in the United States in just a few minutes. Hey, uh, so before we really get into this program today, I, I just want to say a quick word, and I know we all did, uh, to want to mention this about our, our thoughts with the people of Iran right now. Uh, and particularly the people of the uh, Khuzestan region of Iran uh, in the south, where, as some of you listening may know, you guys certainly know, some of my lineage comes from. And uh, the news emerging from Khuzestan is, you know, like so much of the news we've had to endure from Iran in recent years, it's heartbreaking and it's infuriating. Like in this case, a completely bungled water supply system uh, that has left folks without drinking water and resources. I mean, uh, um, the basic human needs. And then when some have raised their voice to, to protest or say, hey, come on, we need something done about this, there's been this government crackdown so harsh that it has, again, led to innocent lives being taken away for nothing, you know, more brutality from this current regime. And... Um, I know, I know we're working on doing an episode next week focusing on the roots of this situation in, in Khuzestan, but for now, our, our thoughts are certainly with the folks in Iran in the middle of another tragic circumstance. Khuzestani people, I mean, they've been on the front line of the war with Iraq for eight years, and after that, nobody cares about them. It's really heartbreaking, you know? I went there several times, and it's a really beautiful land, but now it's like a dry and it's unbelievable and it's not only Khuzestan I mean Sistan, Baluchistan and gradually the water crisis take over all, yeah. all Iran yeah it's yeah. crazy right after uh, I, I grew up in Shiraz I've never actually visited Khuzestan but uh, the neighborhood I, I was raised in I grew up in is an Abadani neighborhood because right mm. after uh, the war with Iraq, a, a lot of people from Abadan and Khuzestan migrated to Shiraz. So I'm v- like culturally, I feel very much uh, connected to to people of Khuzestan. And this this news is, it could not have been more heartbreaking. I mean, uh, Shaya is right to to add to what he said. After the war, um, they've never. It, it it's just is things have been getting progressively worse for mm. people of the south i mean that's intra iran issues i mean you, you you know it's also you think about the rest of the world yeah. and there's been i know there's been a lot of memes and things being put in social media but the world correctly focused on something like the george floyd uh mm-hmm. killing you know mm-hmm. and then you sort of wonder where the world is when this type of thing is happening it's it's iranians posting on social media to a certain extent but um where's the rest of the world yeah. do they know about this are they watching there's no nuance here it's mm-hmm. it's total brutality that that is um unfathomable yeah. uh, it's funny the things you remember sometimes if you don't have direct memories you you remember feelings or sensations as a kid so abadan has an airport right yes so when i was a little kid you know i visited iran this is in the 70s i was this little kid and we went i was five years old <laughs> before revolution obviously yes. uh-huh. and we had gone to tehran and for some reason our plane had to stop in abadan uh-huh. before it went wow. when we were leaving and that's where my dad was born you know and the one thing i remember about abadan is we the plane doors opened and it was so hot uh-huh. like it was this yes 
this wash of heat yes, hit me yes. and i'll you know i'll never forget that sensation <laughs> you know i don't remember details of yeah. uh, my, some of my extended family's homes at yeah. that time but i remember the heat of abaddon you know yeah. i mean before revolution uh, a lot of great musicians played in abaddon because uh, some oil company uh, was there and like dave brubeck played in abaddon oh wow duke eglinton played in abaddon and yeah it's really did duke ellington play there or Ellington. just duke eglinton no ellington sorry <laughs> eglinton is the eglinton subway station <laughs> yeah, in toronto sorry. that's named Elling after him yeah, yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, you know, we we can't possibly do it justice. We're going to try and uh, with these these few words, but we'll we'll try and see if we can have a proper conversation next week. And we're working on a, a couple of folks who who know about this history of the water system. First of all, I mean, we've had Calvin mm-hmm. Madani on the show, and maybe he can he can come back on uh, to talk about how this whole situation. I mean, the dysfunction in Iran at the roots of how these situations happen. Um, that are, is connected to mismanagement uh, and and you know outright bad practices uh, uh, by the government. Uh, so we'll get to all that. Hey, in the coming days on Rook, I should mention some of the uh, guests we have coming on. Dr. Sheila Nazarian, yes, the celebrity uh, plastic surgeon. You know, saying celebrity plastic surgeon kind of undermines her because she actually does amazing work in terms of reconstructing, helping people who, mm-hmm. for various reasons other than you know simply I want to look hotter on my Instagram, you know, are are getting uh, reconstructive surgery done or plastic surgery done or something. Uh, she has this Netflix series called Skin Decision Before or After, for which she was nominated for an Emmy Award. Uh, so Sheila Nazarion coming up. Um, Hamid Saidi of yes. the group Opium Moon, the Grammy Award winning group. Uh, the great, do you know what instrument he plays, Reza? No. Mm-hmm. Do you want to take a guess? Uh, saxophone. <laughs> the great Persian instrument, the saxophone. If I were to say he he's a a Persian kind of a master of his santur. That's right. Yes. Oh, my mom play. plays the santur. Well, then hopefully she'll tune into this episode. <laughs> I don't know how much it's your so family exciting. listens? They're ashamed of you. Uh, Hamid Saidi. Uh, he's part of this group called Opium Moon. They won their their debut album came out in 2019, and they promptly won a Grammy award oh, for it yes. in the I guess best world music category, yes, something yes, like that. Uh, and he, yeah, he's this Santour player, and he's got. They have a couple of new records coming out, and he has a new record out. So uh, we'll talk to him and Ali Parsa. Ali Parsa is a British Iranian uh, doctor. Ali Parsa, uh, a PhD in engineering and physics, and he. He's been an investment banker. He's in the healthcare space now, but he's developed this company called Babylon Health, which uh, <laughs> it's Babylon Health, which uh, at the at the forefront of it has a um, it's an app where you can remotely consult with medical professionals rather than having to go into a doctor's office, which it helps people in all kinds of ways. Now, he developed this and launched this in 2014. It was already a successful oh, product. Wow. But then think about this. COVID. A pandemic oh, yeah. hits, yeah, and it oh. becomes what everybody needs. So um, he has just been added to the list in the UK. The The Sunday Times of, of the UK has added him to the list of the top 200 wealthiest people in the UK. He's wow. a, a billionaire a couple times over. But um, doing really interesting work and an incredible story. You know, every time you read about Dr. Ali Parsaw, the headline is always something like, the refugee kid who became a billionaire because he escaped from Iran mm. post-revolution as a 16-year-old. 
left left the family behind. I think he walked over the border in Pakistan or something like that. Came to England with nothing. Um, you know, even though he came from a middle class family, he didn't have anything with him. So it's quite a story, the story of Dr. Ali Parson. I very much look forward to having him on the show. Yeah, I mean, if Kian was here, she probably would say, oh, <laughs> oh the yeah. rich people. Like, Ooh, a billionaire, huh? <laughs> didn't hear anything Kian else. Kian cannot <laughs> speak for herself right now. She is deathly <laughs> ill from <laughs> taking vaccines. <laughs> we love you, Kian. We yeah. do love you, we Kian. Love you, Kian. Hey, yes. I should mention for this episode, a big shout out to Farid Ameryoun and York National Realty for helping us to bring this episode of Rook to your ears and eyes. York National Realty is a boutique real estate company based in Aurora, Ontario, Canada, that provides top tier service with its team of Farid, Sean Fadavi, and Nahal Sultani. They're a full service realty firm that are there for everyone from first time home buyers to investors looking for new opportunities in the communities they serve. Uh, Farid and his team have also made it their mission to give back to the Iranian community in the diaspora and have supported a number of Persian community events and projects. And they wanted to support this episode of Rook along with Kayvon Zan, as they are proud supporters of the LGBTQ community. Uh, so thank you to Farid, Sean, and Nahal, and York National Realty. Go to yorknational.com. That's uh, yorknational.com. Thanks, you guys, for your support and for your support for the Persian community as well. Um, Captain Reza, I saw a uh, film last night. Uh, uh, first of all, first time going to the movies. Oh, nice! And, and since because you know we've been in lockdown in Toronto, it's opened up. I mean, you wear the mask yeah, and everything. Yeah. You eat the popcorn through the mask. <laughs> <laughs> no, you lift the mask. But uh, it was called Roadrunner. It's a documentary about Anthony Bourdain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's you you know I mean I wouldn't say it's a perfect film. There's some issues I had with it, but and I mean I don't know how they made a documentary about Anthony Bourdain without including my two interviews with <laughs> Anthony <laughs> Bourdain. It's a shame on them, really. Oh, if you on the editing but, table. Uh, <laughs> that's right, somewhere, somewhere on the cutting room floor. Uh, but uh, no, it's a really moving documentary because, you know, he, he uh, I think Persians, I think in the last few years, since that 2014 episode of mm. Parts Unknown where mm. Anthony Bourdain went to Iran, Iran. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and he spoke such truth about the people of Iran that, you know, Iranian representatives haven't, haven't been able to speak. I mean, I remember that episode when it aired, people were just sending it around to each other and calling each other. Yeah. And it, it, they don't actually include that in the documentary. Um, oh. There's no Persian content in the documentary. But no, but you know, he had a, I mean, he, he, it's tragic because of course he's, he's gone now and he took his own life. But um it's it's really worth seeing i think it's really worth seeing for those fans of anthony bourdain out there from the time that he was a chef and you know a former heroin addict who writes this expose kind of book called kitchen confidential which becomes this this massive hit to uh his yen to start traveling and discovering cuisine cultures around the world but really what he's doing is exposing and discovering cultures around the world and bringing that back to people through documentaries that he would make um, anyway, check out the film Roadrunner if you're enjoying. I've got no stake in the film. I'm not <laughs> promoting them because they're a sponsor. But Anthony Bourdain is not a sponsor of Rook. But uh, 
speaking of um, sponsoring, though, and supporting, uh, we do do this show, and we depend on uh, you folks out there to crowdsource for this show. And it, it really makes the difference for us uh, of uh, being able to continue. So if you, um, I, I like to say it this way, if you're a regular listener of Rook, I mean, if you listen to us more than two or three or four times, uh, then we'd love you to become a patron. I mean, think of it as, you know, you pay for your uh, Netflix or you pay for your chewing gum, and then uh, yeah. you can help support Rook. Uh, it's uh, rookmedia.com. You go to the little button up there that says support us, the red button. And for any amount, I mean, I think the minimum is $5, but it can be 10 bucks or more than that. A month, uh, you become a patron, and that uh, helps us to keep things going. We, uh, The whole team sees the list of who are our patrons, and we really appreciate you folks uh, who have become patrons. So rookmedia.com and press that button that says support us, right? Yes. All right. Captain Reza, Groovy Shia. You know, it's it's really not as much fun without Keon, is I it? Know. Well, yeah, I'm I know. I'm stuck with you two. <laughs> <laughs> stuck with a couple of uh, a couple of mooks. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I love you two, by the way. Oh, oh, thank you, Shai. I mean the music band, you two. Oh, you like the band, oh, you, you like too. <laughs> thank you. It's very funny, Shai. That's YouTube. good you're doing jokes in English now. <laughs> I love very it. Very good, yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, we'll see you guys on the back end of this interview. Let's get to our feature guest. You know, following Pride celebrations around the world last month, it seems a fair time to ask what life is like for LGBTQ people who are of Iranian background. How deep does homophobia continue to run in the Persian community? And notwithstanding the government inside Iran, is progressive progress being made for Iranians in the diaspora. Well, my feature guest today is a genderqueer nightlife personality, actor, and musician based in New York City, known for eccentric live performances and parties, as well as their established personal style featuring extravagant blonde bouffants and Elvis Presley jumpsuits. Kayvon Zand was burned was born to, was they, I don't know if he was burned or not. Kayvon Zand was born to Persian parents in Wilmington, North Carolina. In their teens, Kayvon worked as a fashion model, which allowed them to leave their hometown and travel in Europe. Kayvon is a self-taught pianist who also plays the violin and viola and creates uh, 80s-inspired electronic dance music that's quite compelling. They, they've released two EPs. In 2017, Kayvon launched Zandwagon, a model management and specialty casting company which represents individuals from a spectrum of ethnicities as well as transgender and cisgender people filling a necessary void. Kayvon appeared on America's Got Talent Season 10, making it to Judge Cuts and has been published in many periodicals including Interview Magazine, Glamour Paris, Italian Vanity Fair, and the Huffington Post. Kayvon lives in Jersey City with their partner and three children. And right now, Kayvon Zand joins me from Jersey City, New Jersey today. Hello. Hi, Gian John. You know, I love saying that Gian John has such a like <laughs> ring to it, all the zhzh. It's not easy, is it? <laughs> Thank no, it's you. actually very easy. That's what I love about it. And it sounds so like bougie. Gian John. Thank like, you, Kayvon John. Uh, you, you, you know, you. I'm very happy to talk to you. You may be the first self-proclaimed Persian redneck we've had on the show. I mean, you certainly don't look like a stereotypical redneck now, but the, the moniker has to do with where you were born and grew up, right? Tell me about being a Persian kid in North Carolina. I mean, I, I think you just nailed it. Persian redneck is really what it's about. I mean, here's the deal. I was born in the South, 
you know, and so many Iranian people, you know, have, were born in like really cool cities, you know, like Los Angeles or like, you know, Toronto or, you know, Hamburg or something like that. And the town that I'm from is called Wilmington, North Carolina. And I'm going to say it like that because it just seems so much more authentic for me. And what Wilmington, North Carolina is known for is being the home of where they filmed Dawson's Creek. Oh. Yeah. So it's it's actually a very beautiful place. But, you know, the... um. The climate, and I don't mean the weather. I mean the political climate. There was just but, not a place where someone like me could exist. I was going to say the, the, the popular ethnic show, uh, Dawson's Creek. The, <laughs> which it's funny you say that because I was like an ex- like in my early teens, I was like an extra on like that show, like oh, really? you know, popping up somewhere. Yeah, good times. But you know, it's the Bible Belt, and um, growing up in a place that you are literally the minority. You know, and I'm not talking about you know like gender orientation i mean just by when you came out like just by birth you were the minority it it was really a mindfuck and i think what made it even more complex is that i have passing white privilege Mm. so it was always a choice for me to speak on my irani budan you know like for example like when i was a kid that was a time where the whole iraq iraq thing you know was just kind of like wrapping up and all of that you know we're coming out of those crazy times the the thing being the war is that what you mean right like the whole like down there it's like people don't even understand the difference between iran and iraq and this is during a time when people were saying iraq iran you know now it's a little bit more you know fashionable to say the correct way but these are times where it was really a strange and lonely time because there weren't a lot of Persians around me. Like there were maybe like four other Persian families in my hometown. And one of those other Persian families is actually my dad's family who disguised themselves to be not related to me. So that's a whole different soap opera. But um, it was really isolating because in school, you know, I had a choice. I could fit in, I could blend in, I could be like the popular kid in, in so many ways, not just with my Irani Budan, but with my ethnicity, with my gender expression and just really dial it back but i didn't and you know looking back now i'm proud that i really lived in my truth at such an early age because coming from an iranian background that is not what you were taught to do you were taught to live for you know your neighbor how how you're perceived you know well you know it's interesting sorry to cut you off i mean but you you're gonna have to cut me off and talk a lot well i I, noted i'm I'm figuring out the pacing (laughs) it's the first question you are someone who falls into that category and i think this is an interesting um paradox or dilemma or maybe an advantage that some iranians have which is that you uh, unlike me <laughs> someone who grew up with browner skin and a big nose i mean you you could pass for brad pitt or you could pass for a white guy you know and so you you say it's a choice and yet um we do want to live our authentic lives and so did you find that again i mean before we get into any sort of um sexual or gender orientation did, did you find that uh, your parents or you were in the ethnic closet or or were you always out? Well, here's the thing. It wasn't a choice for my mom to be in the ethnic closet because she talks like this and this doesn't sound very white. Right. So for her, you know, um, and I'll just, let me just say like for the viewers and for you, how I deal with a lot of things that may be hurtful to me is humor. So if I'm making fun of myself or making fun of things, just bear with me because right. it's a part of 
me kind of dipping my toes into this pool of this interview. Gotcha. But um, leaving that aside, and also we want to have fun, right? But leaving that aside, no, like my mom didn't really have the choice. Um, my dad, my biological father, I wasn't raised with my, okay, so th- let me just get this out of the way. Yes, so I was yes. raised by my mom. I wasn't raised by my biological father. My mom remarried several times, but she wasn't married to my dad. She's not the typical Persian woman in this way. But um, my stepfather, I wasn't raised by him either. So when I reference my father, I'm talking about my biological father. Who you knew, if I have this correct, you knew your father, but you didn't know he was your dad. Is that correct? I I found out like in my early teens that he was my father. Uh, My mom kind of um, changed the narrative on who my father was, which was very difficult to deal with. But um, when I found out, I also found out that he knew and I found out that it was a secret that was to be kept because, um, you know, I guess both of them are doctors and well-known in their fields in this small town. So they wanted, you know, to be perceived a certain way. And also my um, half siblings didn't know that they had a half brother that existed within their extended social circle. So yeah, that's that Persian soap opera Right. That I've, I grew right. up in. Yeah, right. it's, it's complicated. But um, to answer your question, my mom didn't have the option of white privilege because she came here, you know, with an accent. She Now, the funny thing about her, though, is she didn't try to play white. She tried to be Italian. She's like, You know, I talk like this so people might think I'm Italian. Yeah. So she was always trying to say she was Italian and Greek, and she looks nothing like Italian or Greek. <laughs> so that was funny. And my sister, who is... Um, my half-sister that I grew up with, which is my stepdad's daughter, um, is very dark-complected. Now, keep in mind, um, like, I like to go in the sun and tan. Like, right now, this is tan for me. I'm actually even lighter than this naturally because my dad is from the north of Iran, so he has light eyes and very um, light skin. Mm-hmm. So um, even when I went to Iran several years ago with my half-sister and my mom, people thought that my half-sister was my wife. Now, granted, I wasn't dressed like this, but um, and they thought that, I was English and that I was right, there through right. marriage to right. this woman. So they didn't even suspect me to be Iranian. So it's, it's unusual. And also I'm I'm tall, I'm 6'2", so that kind of threw it off even more. I don't want to go too far into this rabbit hole because there's too much I want to talk to you about. But, but when you say the choice of white privilege, uh, it, is it still white privilege? I mean, is white privilege only about looking white? Be- uh, I, I, I mean, can it still be white privilege if you grew up uh, <laughs> from the evil uh, empire, from, from you know, uh, with an Iranian background? Yeah, I mean, white privilege would be me just not saying that I'm Iranian, just pretending like I'm. And white. you could That's really, get, you you could really get away with that. Well, yeah. Also, because I I don't have a regional accent, so I don't you know sound foreign. You know, so there's that too. So yeah, there is white privilege and there's a lot of privilege that comes with that, especially when you grow up in the South, you know, and there, there were times where I would say that I was Iranian and people would call me a sand nigger. Right. And so like, just let's take about a while to think about that. A sand nigger. Like think about, I mean, you've probably never heard that phrase. That is, that's what people in the South call people who are Middle Eastern. Right. Yes. That's uh, pretty horrendous. And, and how did you deal with that when you heard that? I, didn't know how to deal with it because I wasn't old enough to even understand that what the n-word meant really you know I you know outside of um hearing it maybe in a song you know I I I wasn't mature enough to fully comprehend it now looking back it's more triggering I think than it was at the time 
So you would nevertheless tell people that you were, I mean, were there times, to be honest, I mean, this is called Rook, the show, did, would you, were no. there times when you wouldn't tell people where you were from? I mean, I totally understand your mother, by the way. I would sometimes, when I was growing up, people would say, Gion, that sounds French, and I'd kind of like shrug, hoping that that's what they would think, because I didn't want to get called a terrorist or whatever. Did you use your, as you could say, white privilege at times to just not say where you were from? No, I, I never did that. And I don't know why, because that would have made my life a lot easier as a kid. And um, I have to say, I think it's a lot different when you, I mean, like, let's be clear. It's not like everywhere you go, someone's going to say, where are you from? Right. Like this, or, 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 you know, like they just assume. So these conversations were happening every day. Now, if you're somebody who is constantly being harassed because of your ethnicity or your cultural background, I can understand the temptation and I wouldn't fault anyone for that because it's about survival, but that wasn't always the case. Mm. A lot of white privilege is I just blended in. I, I just blended in. If you ask people in grade school, like, how would you, and they would call me Kevin, they wouldn't call me Kayvon, which is more white privilege because my mom actually, on my birth certificate, called me Kevin. And at home, I was called Kayvon. Mm. I legally changed my name actually when I was old enough to, and I said, She's like, why did you do that? I'm like, because why would you call me Kevin? I'm like, I'm Kayvon. I'm Persian. I'm proud of my culture. I'm proud of who I am. I don't want to pretend to be someone I'm not. You know, so it was it was a battle. Um, and that battle of living my truth versus what would be more socially acceptable has always been there within, especially with my mom and my family. You know, it, it's I've had to really prove myself and put my foot down about this. You, it sounds like you had one foot in and one foot fortunately out in terms of perspective, but uh, I, I'm glad that you told me about the Kevin and Kayvon story. I was wondering, I thought Kevin was, um, uh, the decision to no longer be Kevin was a gender-based thing, but the, but then why no. would you be Kayvon? It doesn't make a lot of sense. So, no. uh, um, so you were Kayvon, but Kevin was used to sort of as, a, as an, a, an assimilationist attempt, and then you chose to go back to Kayvon. Uh, it's very interesting. I mean, I, I think, I, I dare say that if you were... Um, more identifiably a visible minority. Maybe it wouldn't have been as easy for you to, maybe you would have embraced Kevin. Maybe you got lucky, in other words, and, and so you, it, you, you felt empowered more, more so than some of us did. Just while we're on the lexicon, in the introduction, I, I introduced you using they as the pronoun because you've said you're non-binary and genderqueer, but on your Instagram, it says your pronouns are he and him. So what feels best for you? Yeah, I'm so glad you brought this up because... I'm grateful that we're having these conversations now. And, you know, even several years ago, like the word non-binary and these types of words that are now more in vogue were not really used. And it was very difficult for me to really find my place because I didn't really feel like I was gay because I knew that I had an attraction to gender outside of the male gender. And also I knew that I... um I wasn't just like a regular, you know, like, um, dude. So there wasn't really like these terms that really gave an option for people who didn't fit in. It's like either you were like black or white. It's like there wasn't room for anything else. And that was really difficult for me because <laughs> and these rabbit holes, I take you down. But like in so many ways in my life, I just felt like I didn't really fit in because I like going back to what we sing with growing up, like, you know, I didn't grow up in a strict Muslim home. You know, there's a lot of Christianity around me. There was some Judaism around me. So I didn't feel like I was Muslim. I didn't feel like I was religious. So I didn't feel like I fit into the religious world. And the, and the racial makeup, we know where I stand. So it was the same with my um, gender and my um, sexuality. 
sticking to the point of non-binary, I do identify with non-binary now. I feel like that's the closest term that really makes sense of who mm-hmm. I am. I, I can remember like just a few years ago, people were like, well, what are you? Are you like a, like you're a guy, but like, why do you like have like long hair? Why do you sometimes wear makeup or why do you like um, wear clothes like that? You know, oh, so that's so weird. And then like the gay community would be like, oh, why are you dating a woman? Are you trying to hide something? I'm like, look at me, don't think I'm trying to hide anything. Like, does that like, even make can't, sense? Can't win. No, and I was being like passed back and forth, like this game of annoying ping pong that I never signed up for. So it just really sucked because I didn't, I, once again, I just felt like I didn't really fit in. And um, even though they don't, like, listen, like, do, would you identify your full being as being straight? I'm, I'm just assuming. I don't know. And it's not my business. But I'm just saying, you know, who like who is just defined by one thing? And that's right. what I don't like about right. some of this is that we see like people's sexual preferences before we see their right. them as people if they're not straight people. We all non-binary in some way, for sure. I agree with that. Yeah, I I mean, listen, here, here's the deal with my gender association. If I'm with queer friends and I'm in a full look and I'm like wearing and I'm looking extremely feminine. And one of my friends, we were kicking, you know, kicking. Let me just break it down for your audience. A kiki is when you're amongst queer friends and you're just having a good time. You're having a laugh. You know, you're, um, you know, it's like a mehuni. You know, it's that type of thing. So <laughs> <laughs> it's just like a mehuni. Yes. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. So you know, you're letting your hair down. You know, you're listening to your gurus. You're having a good time. So that's a kiki amongst queer people. So. If I'm around queer friends and I'm in a really feminine look and we're like, hey, girl, we're using feminine pronouns, that's okay because I'm amongst family. I, I accept that. But if I'm if I'm out and a straight person like is calling me girl, that, that's a problem for me. And I know that may not make sense, but to me, usually when people who are not in the community are calling me girl, they're making fun of me. Right, right. For me, it's very, it's very cut and dry when it comes to my gender pronouns. You know, I go by he, him. My children call me daddy. That is the most thing. But there are moments where I embrace the feminine, but that's not my everyday. And that's um, that's when I'm with community. And it has to feel right. I have to feel like I'm in a safe space. If I'm not in a safe space, I mean, it's, you know, it's just off limits. I want to get to you being 17 years old and um, kissing a close friend of yours who happened to be a 24-year-old man. And, and at that point, thinking you were gay. Just before that, though, you... How did you know how old you are? I, what type of I research do, my research. do you have? I do my research, honey. Uh, I, I was, um, let's just say I was 18. Like, let's keep this. Okay. <laughs> Before we this is what you care. This is what you care about at this point? Retroactively worrying about? Yes, of course. His, yeah. <laughs> this is the internet. Bitch. His liability. I mean, this is like, this is cancel culture. Like, are you kidding me? Like, I don't, I'm not trying to give problems for anybody. Let's just keep it where it's uh, at. All right. All right. <laughs> but before that, your yeah. ticket out of North Carolina, I understand, was being a male model. I assume yeah. the kind of model that you get pictures taken. You, you, and so you, uh, and you went to Europe uh, on an on a gig. I'm curious how that came about. Like you were, you were scouted. Somebody saw you on the streets of North Carolina. How do you become a male model? In North Carolina, right? <laughs> Here, you want to bring in a model for Walmart today? Get you some. Get your gun out and get some Gatorade and let's get it going, boy. Um, yeah, right. Because. Remember Dawson's Creek? We're going to go back to this. Right. Actually, where I'm from, from is called the Hollywood of the South. 
first of all, thank you very much. Who, who calls it that? <laughs> 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 the people of, of Wilmington, North Carolina, I assume. Actually, yeah. no, you should Google it. Um, okay. Wilmington, North Carolina is a huge movie studio there. Okay. And a lot of your favorite films were filmed there. Um, are you a big fan of um, The Crow? Uh, I've seen it. I don't know if I'm a big fan of The Crow, but yeah, yeah, okay. Okay. Well, actually, all those were filmed there, and actually, that's where he was killed. Oh, when the gun okay. went off okay. in the movie studio, and they thought there was okay. that happened there. For so some reason, like, for some reason, I always thought Dawson's Creek was shot in BC. Was it was like a Canadian thing? I don't know why I thought. Y'all Canadians always try to take credit for everything we do. Down <laughs> it's here. true, we do. Y'all, y'all stay in your space. Let us do Dawson's Creek. We're y'all the Hollywood of the North. I mean, else. everyone wants to be the Hollywood. Apparently, you're the, you're <laughs> <laughs> y'all are the Hollywood of the North. Right, Let right. us do <laughs> But yeah, no, Wilmington actually at the time was really doing a lot of movies, and it was more than um, the Crow, but. Or Dawson's Creek, like so many, and I think they still are. So there were actually are a couple of talent agents out there, and um, for example, they would have you know big motion pictures with big stars. Like I grew up with like Katie Holmes, like walking around my town. It was weird, and people like that because you know we just had that type of thing going on there. Michelle Williams, you know. So the thing is, is that um, when they have the smaller roles, you know, the supporting roles, they would use local talent. It makes sense. Why would you spend money to fly out, you know, Billy Bob from Oklahoma when Billy Bob is like literally Wilmington? So with that said and done, there are talent agents. I was discovered by a local talent agent. And when I realized that I had the possibility of getting out of Wilmington, I doubled down. I'm like, yes, male modeling, wait, I can get out of Wilmington. Like, let's do this. I don't have to go to college. Let's do this. Because that was really being pushed down my throat to become a doctor and all that. And that just isn't me. So with that said and done, I there was interest. And um, I started in London and I was in Milan and Madrid for a full year. And then from there, I ended up in New York. And for me, I wasn't a successful male model, I say. Now, some people might think it was successful because I did some cool stuff and I got to live off of money that I made from this trade. But for me, it wasn't successful, I think, for two reasons. I think, one, I, I couldn't play the game. And the game was I couldn't tone myself down. I couldn't just be some like... Because at the time, you really had to look like a dude. Now it's not like all this androgyny and all this mm. stuff going on. I wasn't having an easy time with going to castings and having to conform. They wanted me to cut my hair and do all the stuff that I didn't want to do. And um, I think also I learned that I'm more of an artist than someone who like takes directions from artists. You know, there's a difference. And I think when you're an artist, you have to be in your own space and be able to create. I, I think it's really hard to take direction and to conform when you're a true artist. Sure. We need great actors and great models, people who take direction. And that's a talent of its own, but that's just not me. So, okay, so you come back to the States. Now let's get to the story of when you're 17, maybe 18, (laughs) you ended up uh, kissing a close friend of yours who was a 24-year-old man. You come out as gay at the time, and somehow your your mom and sister find this out. They're trolling through your AOL account or something. Your mom... Uh, at the moment, did not react well. Now, now, since the pretext of this conversation is how the Persian community deals with um, LGBTQ issues and how um, where we're at in terms of homophobia and recognition and respect, it starts at the home. I'm curious what your experience was in the very beginning. When in that moment, before non-binary, when you thought you were gay, what was the kind of conversation you had with your mom? What happened? Well, I just want to make sure the timeline is correct. Um, so I had this relationship before I did the, like 
I was still in it when oh, I did that the was before that the was modeling. Before. Oh. So I didn't like start modeling when I was like 12 and then come oh. back. <laughs> so it's just, I mean, you know, I had like my mom put me in school and like, I, you know, I, okay. I was in high school. So like okay. I did all that. Like, let's not have my mom coming after me now. But, um, <laughs> whew, Gian, I, I need to sign up for some liability insurance on this show. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I love how you, you know you've been like banned from the the highline. Like you, you've been, you know, you kicked out of uh, performance spaces, and but you're worried about whether you get the date right on this, uh, you know, uh, this podcast. I love it. Please correct me where you can. I think it makes sense, right? Yes. Um, so here's the thing: I was a late bloomer. I was a really like for me in my home, like anything that was sexually like related, like even like. I guess in a heterosexual way was just really like there was a lot of shame and like my, my mom really had an issue with like being comfortable with like intimacy and like I guess having children who had like hit puberty I, she made it very strange for us like my sister wasn't allowed to even like shave her legs until she was like 14 or 15 she like here like she, my mom was just like, really weird in that way mm. and um there was a lot of shame about being like a normal like teenager who had like and then you throw in like you know my queerness on top of it which even took it deeper so it was i was a late bloomer because of all these things and i had really hard times with intimacy with um people being attracted to me it made me very uncomfortable i think i was even more comfortable with being attracted to people i didn't really know how to process those feelings in a normal way mm. but let me say this please 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 for the audience do not confuse that or any of my story with who I am. Because what I really is my pet peeve and what is really harmful to queer people is when people try to say, oh, well, this went wrong and that's why you are the way you are. Like right, we're a product right. of something that right. is negative. So let's just, let's just be very clear about that. I've met pe queer people who come from amazing families, n like normal, great, healthy background. So let's not, please, let's not draw the, connect those dots. So um, to answer your question, Yes, I assumed that I was gay because I'd never been with anyone before. I'd never kissed anyone before. I didn't. There was no other options except gay and straight, you know? And for me, um, there wasn't a lot of education with someone sitting down and having conversations with me. Um, and when it came to any type of queerness or homosexuality, it was something that you would hide, that you would be ashamed of. I had a cousin around me who was extremely... Now, here's the interesting thing about me is like, you know, I can make myself look more femme or more soft, but like as far as my mannerisms and my voice like i'm not like you know someone who's extremely extremely like would be clocked as being gay growing up you know and i had a cousin who was older than me that was extremely effeminate naturally and extremely you know stereotypically gay acting who was trying to i guess not embrace that part of themselves and he had a horrible time i mean he was just the butt of all jokes and, and that was that was very difficult too like amongst iranian people that i grew up with just seeing them making fun of like you know somebody that mm. i cared about so once this whole thing happened yeah i really for me that was the only option it's not even that um i, I wasn't unsure it's just there was no other option i was like you were just gay that was it and how does your mom react well i mean my mom and my sister were like following me around they like they were playing like freaking like um inspector gadget you know <laughs> and then when we started um so my mom and sister confronted me about it. My mom did. And they said to me that um, you have an option. Either you stop, and I don't know what it means to stop being yourself, but you stop, right, right. or you leave the house. And I left. I wow. left, and I never turned back. You got kicked out, basically. 
that's how I have said it for a long time. Um, my mom's not comfortable with me saying that. She says that she didn't mean it, that it was more like a, it was supposed to be like a disciplinary bluff to kind of, she didn't really think I was going to leave. Mm. That's how she says it now. But as far as I'm concerned, yes, I was kicked out. That's how it felt to me. You didn't feel accepted at least. Is that fair? Um, I also was ridiculed and embarrassed at the same time because my, like my mom, I never even told her like, I didn't get a chance to like have like this, you know, like most people get to like come out and have these things. Like they just like stalked me and like, mm. they were really, they made it very uncomfortable. It, it wasn't just about my sexuality at this point. It was a violation of my privacy. It was a violation of, of so many things. And the funny thing is it became even hurtful when I later found out that my sister who was a part of the storyline was a lesbian who was hiding. Right, like, right. So that even was more of a mindfuck. Wow. <laughs> Safe to say it wasn't a this is us uh, moment where the family holds hands and says, thank you, honey, for being so honest. We love you no matter what you are. That didn't happen in your case. No, but what Persian family does that happen in? Well, that... <laughs> Oh, okay so so then you end up but here's an interesting twist you end up moving to new york see you see if i've got my information right here you end up moving to new york with this man and you realize that you're attracted to men and women all kinds of different folks and you end up actually falling in love with a, with a woman and you have a relationship with a woman but you don't tell your Persian mom in this case uh, and that's curious to me it seems counterintuitive why wouldn't yeah. you want to tell her wouldn't that be emancipating for her somehow Ooh, yeah I mean most people would think I would like want my mom to know I think it, for me it was a lot of because keep in mind I was just such a late bloomer I didn't really have a lot of chances to establish who I was so I established this narrative where I really thought, okay, this is who I am. And then, you know, when my ex and I were like on the rocks, you know, it's funny because I told him that I had an attraction that I was curious about, but I wasn't really sure about it. Because here's the thing, when I'm in a relationship, I'm in a relationship. Like, I love you. You're the apple of my eye. Like, it's about you. So I, like, I'm not trying to like, you know, find out all this stuff about myself right now because I'm in love with somebody and like you know I'm young this is my first love I'm not trying to like explore you know like that's what you do when you're like in your 50s and everything's downhill that's when you start like <laughs> I'm making a joke you know people say like all the swinger stories and people are like it, the relationships dried up and it's like gone sour right. this is like fresh you know this is like puppy love and um when things started to come to an end yeah like I took full liberty to really explore and find myself. Like I hoed around and I'm proud of it. I mean, everybody should, everybody should find themselves. There's nothing wrong with dating and finding out what you're attracted to. You know, for some people it's, it's easier because they had, they had an opportunity to in their teens, but I really didn't. So my ex, not the one that I started out with or, you know, but before I was with Anna, I, I dated a girl for a year and, um, I was me, like full makeup, everything. We had a really great time and I hid it from my mom for a while because I just felt like I wanted this to be mine. And the moment my mom 
found out that I did something she liked, it's like she owned it and took it away from me. It wasn't mine anymore. And I think that's like a Persian mom thing. You know, it's like you go to school for them, you become a doctor for them, you have children for them, you live for them, you probably die for them. I mean, they probably made a pact with God and like they're collecting your ashes at the end of the day. Who knows? It's like there's like this sense of entitlement that comes with being a Persian parent mm. that is culturally ingrained in the culture. And I think um, it was that that left that resentment where I just did not want to tell my mom anything that she was going to be happy with. There's an element of the the public and the private when it comes to Iranians especially that um, is germane to this when it comes to your mother. Because uh, is it true that your mom after some time, what she was actually taking umbrage with, what she was most worried about or offended by was your makeup, your presentation, your clothing, the way you were strutting around, rather than yeah. whether you were gay or straight or non-binary, right. uh, which is very quite revealing, isn't it? Tell me a little bit about that. It's funny because my mom like had a really hard time with my parents and to the point where she told me just like leave the town you're embarrassing me just get out of here like leave the town not even my house anymore just leave the town it's like she kicked me out of Wilmington. <laughs> you mean the hollywood of the south <laughs> i guess my mom's like the fucking hollywood sign i don't know but she kicked me out but um it's funny when i started dating anna who is my wife and the mother of my children now Anna's interesting because you know Anna is a very unique person and she's always been attracted to like people like David Bowie and she was goth when I met her she really she came from a she was attracted to a culture where men had more of a renaissance mm. you know vibe where men did everything mm. you know and I think um coming from a scene where like musicians and stuff like that you know it's different because like I throw a lot of events and like there's straight guys who come in eyeliner, guy liner and, and looks and stuff. And it's like, it, it's kind of like, you're not really going around. Oh, let me guess what your vibe is because you're dressed this way. You know, there's more openness. It's mm. more fluid. So she was always attracted to that. So she loved the fact that I was always like dressing the way I was. So when I met her, actually, it just got elevated. I started wearing more makeup. I started to really play with femininity. And because I was, for the first time I was with a partner who really embraced that my first partner um the guy that i was with he hated the fact that i wore makeup mm. and that's interesting because in gay culture there is a lot of heteronormativity and a lot of um bashing against femininity amongst other gays gay men and you see that in lesbian culture too where there is a lot of backlash in certain scenes against um females who may be masculine now there is there are gay people who are attracted to that you know but for the, the heteronormativity can be a really toxic thing in gay culture so we were talking about how your mom had more issue with the way you looked than with what you might be doing in private. Um, yeah, what, because what, she wants, for her, like, you know, she's coming, she's like, خود مردم گی هستن دیگه نمیگن صاحب نمیکنه با مردم دیگه تو خونه خودشون. Like, for me, my mom saw me as I am as a fetish. Like, she thought this was bedroom behavior. And that was just really hard for me to understand because I'm like, you know, this objectification of queer people is just so right, damaging. Right. I understand. And that that's what we do as humans when we don't understand something. We objectify it. 
But the reason I ask is because, or, or want to harp on this to a certain extent, is because there seems to be different levels in the Persian community. I'm not, I mean, we can't speak of this in universal or omnibus terms. I'm not, so if anybody takes issue with this, it's like I'm, I'm, I'm just talking about some folks. But, you know, there's the one level where, uh, and maybe this is like the sort of state level later on, you know, where, where you know, homosexuality should not exist or it's a bad thing or it's it's something that we should uh, demonize or it's a, it's uh, antithetical to Islam or whatever. And then there's this other level, which it feels like a lot of people operate at, which is, all right, you know what? Do whatever the fuck you want, but make sure you never tell anybody or do or make it public or, you know, because it's taboo. And that's the part where I feel like we need a corrective, you know, in the in the Persian community. And by the way, it doesn't just exist around gender orientation or sexuality. It exists around, you know, all kinds of things. I mean, that we're very private people when it comes to what we do in our homes. And that can be quite destructive in some cases, I think. Totally. I think some of the things that make us great are the things that make us that are our downfalls. I mean, self perseverance and um, knowing how to act is a great thing that Persian culture has. They really, you know, are socially graceful people and they really know how to be considerate and they, they're really much great when it comes to their image with how they're perceived and that creates a lot of success. But there's a price that's paid for that when it's brought over to, you know, having to deny who you are. You know, and I think that's where it's gone overboard. And as far as Iran, the interesting thing is, is that Iran has the second highest transgender population in the world. Yeah. And the problem with Iran's mentality when it comes to queerness and gay people isn't even just an acceptance at this point. It's false narratives and creating um, exp an explanation that is not true to where the people have come to believe it. You know, um, a lot of people in Iranian culture have thought that I was trans because, you know, I have like long hair or makeup or I, I might look pretty at times. And that's kind of how the government acts. You know, the famous quote, we don't have a gay problem because Iran Iranian government believes that it's not a gay issue, that if you, that you're, it's a trans issue. That if you're not a gay person, that you're a trans person who hasn't transformed, who hasn't gone through your transition. And therefore, the government helps support you, has have this transition. And actually, you're pressured by your family in some ways to do so. And then what happens is you're a gay guy or girl who is just a gay guy or girl. Your sexuality and your gender are two different things. But you're having to change your whole body and put go through this whole process that is put upon you just to try to survive. And then what happens is you either they end up in prostitution or they end up killing themselves. So many of them. It's great for people who are actually trans, but that's that's the country that we're coming from. So I always have to remind myself when it comes to my mom, when it comes to my family, okay, well, this is what the status quo is. Over here, it's like we might think something messed up, but at least there's some decency mm -hmm. to correct us from a larger platform. The government there just really has a lot of misunderstanding that is very damaging to towards queer people and that's that's the problem is that my mom still to this day doesn't fully understand it i mean she loves me i'm her son she loves her daughter but i think there's if there's a lot of pieces to this pie there's not understanding there's not being comfortable with being able to express who she is you know with her with being a woman you know 
who's had multiple partners, who's been married several times, all the shame she's dealt with with that. So I think there's just, there's a lot of pieces to this pie that's created this cultural tone to where you can say this is a Persian trait. Kayvon, you, you've said you like the word queer. Uh, I, want to quote, I do. I want to quote you saying, queer is freedom. It's openness. It's real. And I think that's what we want from society. We don't want to play dress up anymore. We want. We don't want appropriation. We want the real deal. Um, can you explain that? What, what is the real deal? And what does it mean to not want to play dress up anymore? Um, well, I'll say this. For me, like, my queerness is it's just the freedom you know it's it's being able to be myself and not have to dress like a dude because that's like more masculine because that's what's accepted for me today or if someone says okay well you're 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 feminine so you should be trans you should just go that direct like i want to just stay where i am like mm. you know i i i pull from both sides of my gender expression but yeah i mean it's to me that's honesty that's that's freedom. That's queerness. Queerness derives from a state of not understanding, you know, like to be called queer was not a positive thing, you know, decades ago, you know, so that's kind of the derivative of that word is this kind of bizarre berserk, you know, not really being able to understand queerness is it's a space where I can exist, you know, it, I, I, I mean, how can I make sense of it? I mean, maybe somebody who isn't Christian, who isn't Muslim, who isn't Jewish, who maybe believes in all sorts of faiths, who might celebrate Christmas or also celebrate, you know, Passover. I mean, like, just being able to, to, to be in your own truth and not having to be strictly like one thing, mm. you know, I think that's, that's where queer people feel like they can just really be themselves is where these judgments, these expectations aren't put upon you because people just perceive you. And you know, that that expectation and judgment has even grown stronger being that I'm a parent, you know? Because I have people write me, like Iranian people, especially like, you know, or like, it's like, people then assume, oh, like you're messed up, so now you're messing up your children because you're right, being yourself, right, God right, forbid. Right. <laughs> I want to get to your kids and how that's, uh, how having kids has changed your life. But um, wh when did you know that your life is really meant to be lived as a performer and an artist, that you that you want to take this big personality and, and perform? Was that always there? I mean, I, I heard somewhere you did pre-med. You, you actually tried to <laughs> the path of being a doctor for a while and, and realized that that just isn't you. When did you know that this is who you have to be? Yeah, I think looking back, like I clearly was always a performer. There's this video that like haunts me that I never want to come to light of me. Like, okay, Chuck E. Cheese used to be called Showbiz Pizza. And like, there used to be this big gorilla that used to like sing with the keyboard. And it was a birthday party. And I'm like, like, you remember that song? I'm your Venus. I'm your fire with your desire. Yeah, it's called Venus. So, yeah. so I'm like voguing and like, tearing it like breaking down and like this having this spiritual like awakening in front of like all these and like it's funny the vhs is just going around everyone's just kind of like <laughs> and i'm just like li literally feeling myself more than anybody and it's weird because my mom's like really encouraging me she's like Whoa, you can hear she's living for it 
So I think um, that's one of the things I do love about Persian culture is that we do love like dancing and music and performing. But it's it's funny though. That's another thing that's meant for the house. Like just like you're like you keep that at home. That's not something you pursue. That's right. shameful. Right. You know that's that's something that's not understood. I mean, one of my good friends is an attorney, and she. Um, became an attorney later in life and she was actually an attorney for um, Viacom like MTV and all this stuff and her family like literally didn't understand what she was doing like how do you not understand what she's doing she's an attorney like isn't that like good enough but no because she like worked for like Viacom I mean <laughs> so if they're having shit like what oh, do yeah. I expect oh, oh, some yes, like absolutely. slack but I mean how far can you describe like I've watched videos of you I've, I follow you on Instagram but I mean what what is it that you when you were at the the apex of your shock rock live shows and and wild performances mm -hmm. when you get banned from the highline ballroom for example in new york city what what is it that you were doing it's not what i was doing see i mean <laughs> here's the thing i mean this is the issue i have with like media is that there's elements of truth and then like there's the elements of like what makes great headlines you know and there's there's like the in between okay so you know the truth is, I mean, I, I hate telling that story in this conversation because I'm like, we've, had, oh Lord. Why do you hate it? Don't tell me the story. Tell me why you hate telling the story. I I don't hate telling the story. I hate like, I hate like having to like have somebody the fear of somebody listening to this and be like, okay, so he's just inappropriate. He doesn't know how to act. And then that becoming an excuse for them to dislike my queerness and uh, to uh -huh. you know like I hate that like. Thing. But that's and what that's you've what, chosen. That's what you do. I mean, you're that, a big personality. Right, right. I'm not saying that it's it's a feeling that's justified or healthy, but it's a feeling that's there at times. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, we're having these great conversations. So do I really want to like put myself in a position where like I'm telling the story that's completely going to just be like, what the fuck? But it's <laughs> yeah, it's a part of my well, life. So anyhow, I'm gonna well, you don't have because, to. You don't have to tell the story. I mean, no, 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 I, no I'm, 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 I'm curious what it is that I mean. You you seem like a very. I you know I just don't know what. What, I, what are we talking about here? What's what is a shock rock live show? Just give me. You don't have to tell that story. But what what was what? Why are you considered so wild? Here's the thing. It's called shock rock for a reason. Now keep in mind, this is like over a decade ago. Like I. I'm not where I'm at in my life. I definitely um, was still coming out of a place in my life where, you know, I was not coming from the greatest mindset. Mm -hmm. So certain things I look back and I, I'm i proud of and I stand by certain things. You know, I'm like, would I do them same again? Mm -hmm. Probably. But what are you going to do? Like become like a non-binary pop star? Like that didn't exist back then. So like this was a world where I could really just kind of be accepted, you know, Acts like Marilyn Manson, David Bowie, like those types, you know, like that's a great space for people who, I mean, I consider David Bowie to be a queer person, you know? Sure. And um, those are great places for people like us to exist because there's the freedom, there's the fluidity. So I, the the scene was attracted to me and I was attracted to it. Now, going back to um, the performances and things like this, like the performance that you were referencing, what happened was the venue, and I'm, I'm going to explain the story because now someone's going to know the ass to go Google it. I mean, these are Fuzuls. These are Iranians. They're going to want to know what the hell we're talking about. <laughs> so basically, um, what happened was I had performed this amazing live show. I'd put a lot of effort into it. And yeah, there were dark elements. There was like theatrical elements. There was a vaudeville element. You know, there were some gothic elements, new wave, you know. 
and half of the audience may not know what that is. Go Google that. But putting all that aside, like, yeah, it was a show that I put a lot of effort into. So I get there and the venue says to me, oh, you can't have fire breathers. Like, and I had hired these people. We had already negotiated. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, this is, I've already worked this into my set. Like it's, I'm relying on this. Like, no, you can't have that. And then there was some um, like fake blood that we were doing some like, you know, like gothy stuff with. Like, well, you can't use that either. It's gonna make the stage dirty. So at this point, I'm like, okay, make the stage dirty. You're basically being an asshole to me. Like, you know, I get it. Like, and at this time I hadn't have any press. So I was just like somebody who was just getting started. So I'm like, okay, I'm like that fucking asshole who like is gonna be like told that I have to like stand in the back of the line for my own show, basically. I mean, if you're if you're a performer and you're starting out, you do this the music scene, you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. They were being assholes. So the fire performers, like this really weird couple that, you know, <laughs> it's really their fault. So they said to me, they're like, well, what are we gonna do now? And I made a joke. I said, Well, why don't you guys just go fuck on stage? Like, just do something. Like it was a joke. So literally, <laughs> okay. I noticed as I'm performing, like everyone's just like gasping, and I, I'm like, they're not gasping at me, like they're gasping at what's going behind me. So I turn around, and these two are like going at it right. on the freaking stage. Mm. So of course, like, what am I gonna do? Like, say stop! Like, I just have to like keep singing, and like, and I'm like trying to like get this song over with, like because you know they're also not very attractive people to be doing this act but um (laughs) okay yeah so basically a woman was following me who was a writer for page six and someone had posted something on my page about it and next day the headlines were performer has sex on stage which never happened i never had sex with anybody on stage i've never had sex with anybody on a stage um i definitely didn't suffer because of that It, it kind of was a note like good bad press is good press thing like i really got a lot of attention because of it and it helped me in some ways but it never happened it was a sensationalized quote which technically happened but technically didn't happen Hmm. so take what you will with that and you uh i mean that's not that's not that bad it's not that big a deal i mean but like for you you, it's that bad what about somebody doesn't perform they they excommunicated (laughs) you a long time ago uh they they haven't made it this far into the conversation (laughs) right okay Uh, no i kid i hope they have actually (laughs) Uh, um just out of curiosity i mean the, the sort of hesitancy you had with telling that story um are you hesitant because you know there's a lot of Iranians listening? No, it's because I don't want to add to the narrative that like queer people are like perverted or like something like that. We're like, you that, know, like I see that, that it's necessarily because you're you're queer, right? That you, right. I right, don't. Right, right. Right. That's what right, I always right, right. Which, which is we That's can, what I don't want to feed. The, into right. The you you as an artist has nothing to do with your yeah. We can exactly, we can but like that. That, you know, and the thing is, is like that. That's what it is. It's like I don't want to feed into that stereotype because that's that's damaging and And you know what um, you're not i'm doing that and the reason i'm doing that is because we have this dual kind of focus in this interview where we want to hear your story but we're also asking you about homophobia uh in the persian community so it's going to get a little gaudy and that's the you know uh but at times you know you've also been a wild personality that's i have been and you know i i own it listen i'm not like ashamed of it and it's not about like being iranian like i said it's interesting because in our culture we don't have a lot of people who are who are out like growing up you know you had like Khordadion who was like dancing around and like Queen yeah. Gal and like I yeah. knew I'm watching a, a queer person I loved it but like he never would speak on it right. I don't know if he's even come out to this day but like with that said it's like there's so 
much lack of representation. So for me to be somebody who's always been out and loud, you know, I just want to make sure that my narrative isn't adding any harm. So like to that, that's my sensitivity, but you're absolutely right. Like my, my queerness who I am has nothing to do with me as a performer. So l- let me ask you, I mean, you're in a, a great position to be able to assess this, especially now as you have a growing audience amongst Iranians as well. And even in Iran, I understand on your Instagram channel, uh, you know, we sort of, I mean, we know it's not a new narrative to talk about the fact that there's been progress made when it comes to trans or LGBTQ or, or, or over the last decade. I mean, as Obama said in, in 2012, you know, when, when things were changing around same-sex marriage, you know, I've evolved. It feels like society in the West has evolved. And I wonder what your perspective is on where the Persian community is at and all that. Um, first of all, when you were doing your shock rock stuff, and if you take us back a decade ago, how open were you about your Persian background through all of that? And and when did Iranian sites start to get to know you? And what would they say at that time about you? It's really, I'm glad you mentioned that. There was this site called MTV Eggy, which was, it was MTV and it was um, also MTV World. And they were one of the, after the page six up, they started to feature me all over their website. My music videos, press about me, things about me being Iranian, you know, and now it's a defunct website. I, it's a branch of MTV that's no longer there. But I have to give credit where credit is due. They really, really were progressive for the time. And my Irani Budan was at the was the clickbait for them, even though it wasn't really clickbait, but it was a narrative that they really spoke about. Um, I've always been very open about my culture. A lot of the imagery and you know the Persian, like the big eyebrows I do, like it comes from like looking at the Persian miniature paintings, you know. Um, and then my name is fucking Kavan. I mean, what more can I do? Just wear a shirt that says I'm Iranian. But still, to this point, even now, people still are so shocked that I'm Persian. And it's like, I don't know what to do about it. I mean, I, I wanted to be a part of um, the narrative. But, you know, I think between my features and also between my presentation, how I express myself, I think, and my openness on top of that, and being an openly queer person, I think that's just a a recipe for not being the typical Persian person. So it's hard for people to accept that even if I look Persian to somebody, they'll be like, well, how that's not a Persian thing to do. A Persian person would never embrace this type of thing, Uh you know? But to the point I was trying to make, have you seen a change, an evolution in how the Persian community reacts over the last decade or in your lifetime? Uh, uh, More so in the last year. In the last year? Yeah. What's happened in the last year for you? Um, somebody at some TV stations were like, <laughs> I mean, I think it's like, it's become a little bit more socially acceptable in the Western world with, you know, all the queerness and representation. So they want to seem like they're hip. I mean, do I think it's 100% authentic? No, but I'm not going to say it's an Iranian thing. I think it's not 100% authentic with the Western world either, with the with the movie boxes, with all these shows. Listen, I'll take I'll take any step forward, even if it's like a shady step. You know, like do I think that Pride has become the new Christmas where they're just making money? Do I think people who are selling Pride merchandising are necessarily really advocates for LGBTQIA rights? No, I think it's become commercialism it's become more marketable. So I think there is, there are some people who are, who hearts are in the right place, but I think there's a good population of people in the entertainment world and the media where it's just something that's going to be views and equate money for them. But do you think that, um, 
homophobia is somewhat still acceptable in in some Persian circles in a way that it isn't in uh, some other cultures? I mean, here's the thing. Like, homophobia is everywhere. Um, racism is everywhere. Prejudice is everywhere. But sticking to the point of homophobia and um, transphobia and all these things, the issue with Iran is that the government... I think if the government were to put their foot down and say this is wrong, that gay people are not trans people, that we do not we do not allow harming our queer family members like Ali Reza, mm. you know, in Iran, who was executed by his own family just because he was gay. Was about the, did you hear about the story? I'm sure yeah, you have. Yeah, of course, yeah. You know, so, like, why hasn't the government spoken against that? Like, if that happened in the West, you know, even crusty-ass Trump would have said something mm. along the facts that this is not acceptable, and he's a piece of shit. But, I mean, you know, it's like our, our piece of shit would even speak against it, but... That's 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 the issue. That's the issue. But do you think that I mean, if if two if Iranians at a, a bar in Toronto or or New York or L.A. are are making uh, queer jokes, is that that's because of the government in Iran? It's not. It's not about the homophobia. It's about the like you know all this khajalat buzz. Let's have a little bit of khajalat about it. If our government and our parents are telling us this is wrong, even if we feel this way, at least we don't have the balls to do it. You know, I see. like I, I can't change people's genuine core. You know, I can't go around and say, oh, well, you know, this is how you should feel or think because the way you're thinking is shitty. But at least if it's not socially acceptable, then it helps. Mm. You know, that's that's the problem. We can't go around changing people, right. but we need to fucking like instead of policing people about wearing a hijab and shit, let's police people about fucking homophobia. Right, right. And it does it, it does help. It 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 has changed. For example, in the United States, this, when the legislation came down, say on same sex marriage, now a majority of Americans believe in same sex marriage. It, it does. It can uh, lead the way. It starts from the top. It can. It works its way down. Let I mean, me let me end off. I uh, thank you so much for the, the the time and the candor. Let me uh, end off with a couple of questions about family. I, t- I said I'd come back to it. How you have three <laughs> kids now? How how has having kids affected you or maybe changed you? When you have children, you know, you you definitely a part of your brain just really changes. I think having been somebody who didn't have kids, you know, it was your mind is set up just to really protect yourself to think about yourself i think once you have children it's like you're not just here anymore there's parts of you that are outside of your body you think about you know how did you grow up like how did your parents act in certain situations um it's it's been a blessing and a curse at the same time i i mean being a parent has been a wonderful experience and i i love having children i i have a four-year-old daughter i have a two-year-old son and an eight-year-old boy and it's really been a rewarding experience. It's the most meaningful thing I've ever done. It's going to be, my legacy will be being a father, and that'll be it. Um, but the, the hurtful thing and the hard thing about it has been comparing my childhood to how I'm raising my children, and that's been very difficult for me. I didn't think it was going to have this you know, reverse psychology effect where I was going to really start building resentment towards you know, my upbringing because... I'll be like, why didn't you know my parents talk to me like that or do this for me or take me there? I think that's been the hard thing about it. You said recently that you tried to reach out to your father and your 
half siblings, but you were you were turned away, um, and you said it's probably one of the most hurtful things you've had to deal with. What? Why do you think they turned you away? It's such a complicated situation, you know. Um, my parents hid my basically my identity. You know, they they pretended like I wasn't my dad's son, and I had to be around this guy growing up and know that he was my dad, and just play this game of like, you know, orphan. And um, when I finally mustered the courage to reach out, I was I knew I was going to get married. I knew I wanted to have kids, and I said, "Listen, like." I want to move on, put this behind me, and I just really need some answers. And before I have children, I need to heal and put this chapter to an end. And um, I can't say I really got that result from it, unfortunately, but I basically um, was able to convince him to do the DNA test, only because I threatened to reach my half-siblings. I don't think he would have done it otherwise. And from there, um, I've heard that he's just decided that because he didn't raise me that you know i'm not his son and he told me that when we met he's like you know i didn't raise you like i can be your friend but i can't be your father when you have your own kids you'll understand that Hmm. um yeah i think that's a very hurtful thing for somebody who kind of recognizes that already but that's not what you want to hear you want to hear like hey like you're my son like i know we can't change the past but let's try to have a, a relationship from here on out you know like I think that's what I wanted. I knew that things were going to be changed. I think to have the half-siblings say they didn't want anything to do with me was definitely like the nail in the coffin. You know, it's like, it was just very clear that um, he was right. I'm not his son because if I had three half-siblings come to me saying they were my sibling, I wouldn't turn them away. So obviously I'm not your son because I would never act like that. You know, so he was right. I'm not his son because I would never act like that. A final question, which is um, around the kind of feedback you've been getting from Iranians and young Iranians, especially uh, even some in Iran. You know, you mentioned you've mentioned David Bowie a few times through this interview, who's my happens to be my idol and who I've written about always saying that he taught me when I was a kid and when I was feeling like an outsider that it's okay to be different, you know? It's okay to be unique. I mean, he basically says it in his music and long before Lady Gaga did. Um, yeah. I know you get some messages from, from kids or from young people in Iran and around the world saying that you provide some inspiration for them. Can you share some of that? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's been really great. I think the internet has created this portal where you know, we can kind of all coexist like this diaspora where we're like kind of not just, you know, we're, we're not geographically on the same wavelength, but, you know, electronically we can kind of live in this world where we can kind of coexist. And that's been great because so many Iranian kids and adults and um, have just reached out and said, you've been like a, a breath of fresh air to see somebody like you has been great. You know, um, I think also, as some of the shallow things about who I am, you know, like the aesthetic, maybe some of the cool things I've gotten to do or the the fun glamorous stuff or the press coverage, I think kind of is, is a good thing because they kind of feel like, Hey, like this isn't somebody who was just like thrown to the street, had no, not, wasn't able to create any opportunities for themselves because yeah. of who they were. I think that helps too, you know, especially um, in the Iranian world because so much of, um, 
what we're told as kids is like your family's not going to love you you're never going to be able to get anywhere you're going to like never have a job you know like all this stuff so i think for people to see that i have a family that you know that i have my own career that i have my own life i think that probably gives some people some hope that they can also be themselves and just you know have a decent life how's your relationship with mom these days i will always love my mom and i know my mom loves me i think um I think we have a lot of work to do. I, I'm wanting to do the work. I just don't know if if she's able to. I mean, unfortunately, she would have to do a lot of changing. I think for a Persian woman, a Persian mom to change is like impossible. And unfortunately, I think a lot of the ways that have been ingrained in her head, she'll never be able to have a, like the relationship that she wants with her, her son and daughter. I think, um, my, my, you know, my sister's a lesbian. I'm a queer person. You can't, she would have a great relationship with us if we were just regular, you know, hetero people who happened to be doctors and happened to have a boy and a girl and lived in a certain house and all these things. You know, if we were her idea of perfection, I think we'd have a great relationship. But unfortunately, I'm not because people aren't perfect and people are individuals. Not everyone's the same. So I think we have a lot of work to do. I'm, I'm wanting to do the work. I mean, even with my dad, I would love to have a relationship with my dad, even after everything. I would, in a heartbeat, it came to me. I would say, I will, like, even the past few years with all this shit, I will let it go. Like, all good. But I, I just think I'm too open and I'm too real to have a relationship in an Iranian family. Kayvon, thank you so much for this today. I really appreciate the time. I really appreciate the insights and, and the, the story and, and the candor. Thank you so much for having me. See you soon. Thanks. Okay. Bye. Kayvon Zand, a nightlife performer, musician, actor. Uh, you can find Kayvon at Kayvon Zand on Instagram, Kayvon Zand, K-A-Y-V-O-N Zand. Kayvon joined us from Jersey City, New Jersey today. Phone's back on for Captain Reza and Groovy Shia. How was that? Um, uh, could you start? Uh, yeah, uh, I can actually. So many things to say. Uh, Shia is just exhaling. I know, yeah. he's, he's taking <laughs> it in. It's so exhausting to ask a, be asked a question. <laughs> I know, I, I, the thing is that I, I wanted to say something, but it's more most related to myself uh, uh, what i've learned from his oh, interviews okay yeah. all right so i i, I rather to reza speak about the interview and okay go ahead reza speak yeah about I, the interview i don't know if i learned anything for myself personally but i definitely uh I, it definitely affected me emotionally uh his when he was talking about his father and uh wow Wow, I want. You know what I wonder if what what part of what when uh, he was saying about? that now he knows not to approach his mm. dad anymore. That's essentially that. That's a CLDL. He's like, I won't do that anymore. Mm. But what 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 I wanted to ask him from a, like an actor's perspective, if he uses um, 
his background, his uses, his person, his, his his relationship, all what he's gone through, his emotions, his thoughts, his if he draws from that in his performances, hmm. that would be because because if so, you mean taps into yeah, the emotions of yeah, the difficulty emotion, of the his difficulty of yeah, and his that that rejection and and going through all hmm. that because I think. What would I that What would that tell you if if the answer was yes? Then I want to see that what where he's playing, like what theater, <laughs> which Broadway, and I'm gonna go see that show because that performance uh, would be, uh, I don't know, marvelous. I think. Uh, Kevin's got a new. Uh, the, the Kevin's band has a new video coming out soon, so oh. he, there's performances to to be seen, yeah. Captain Reza. No. But uh, now that I know you have conditions, I <laughs> need to know. If uh, you're a if method he, actor, I only yeah. watch you. If he studied the Stanislavski method, I could, I'll, I'd be happy to watch his show. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> not not too sure. Uh, I, I found it really, there's so much I, I was so interested to hear from Kayvon in that interview. One, one of the things that uh, Kayvon was saying early on about uh, – that people would mistake Kayvon for being a white person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the skin is quite white, and you know, and that yet Kayvon wouldn't, would say, I'm Iranian. It wouldn't embrace that white privilege, as, as, as Kayvon was putting it. I, I think that's, that's very interesting, that's because I, in my case, I would have opted to, to be seen as a white person. So I would I. Yeah. And, and, and we've had people, like I've had my friends who are like, they look more Persian than my dad. Like, yeah, and yeah, they yeah. like, oh no, my name is Mark. My yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they look like they came from Qazvin. <laughs> yeah. like, I don't, no, I don't no, know where no. that is. Just Shia says that, it's funny. Yeah. No, yeah. but uh, that's, that's fascinating that he, yeah. uh, he opted to basically embrace his background yeah. and ethnicity. That's interesting. All right, Shia, what's your personal story? We're waiting. <laughs> Come on, okay, yeah. Come on um, the, the thing is that you have to be your um, first uh, actor of your own movie. I mean, your your life is like a movie and you have to you're be... The, you're the star of your own yeah, movie. Yes, uh-huh. yes. And the way that Kayvon lived, he lived as a fir- as a star of his movie, which I I'm struggling hard to can be the star of my movie. You know. So you don't think you're the lead of your own life? You think you're no, really? no. Who, who is the lead in your life then? My surrounding. Oh. Not, not only one. Yeah, a lot of time I sacri I w- I sacrificed myself to. Mm-hmm please my surrounding to just not but who cares i have to be my own star why did you learn that show. from Kayvon as opposed to any of the rest of because our guests? He, because he d- he he always push boundaries to to be a to be a star for right and so you say to own it to own, to own it, own it. Yeah, yeah to yeah. own himself and now he's calm he's in a p at peace and because he fight for mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, in this interview, Kevin was calm and at peace. I mean, everybody uh-huh. has their ups and downs. Yes, I'm sure that. Uh, but it did feel no one like is immune that to that. But 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 such perspective, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like Kevin's yeah. obviously come to a place where they've got the you know totally, so, yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And on that note, Shia is leaving the studio. I guess no, I'm joking, <laughs> he's not. <laughs> Trying to find himself. That's funny because in this in my movie. 
Shia, uh-huh. you're the star. Uh-huh. So that, you know, now I'm living I, everything in revolves around you, and then oh. I'm just a bit player in the movie. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh my God, I'm <laughs> Hey, once again, a big thank you to Farida Marion and York National Realty for uh, helping out with this episode. Uh, York National Realty is a boutique real estate company based in Aurora, Ontario, Canada. Top tier service from Farid and his team of Sean Fadavi and Nahal Sultani and Farid. They're, they're, this is a full full service realty firm that are there for everyone from first time home buyers to investors looking for new opportunities in communities they serve. Uh, and they're also proud supporters of the LGBTQ community. They wanted to support this uh, show with Kayvon. Thank you to Farid, Sean, and Nahal at York National Realty. Go to yorknational.com, yorknational.com. All right. All right. This is full time for Rook for today. Back next week, Dr. Sheila Nazarian, Ali Parsa, Tara Tibah, Hamid Saidi, just some of the guests coming up on Rook in the coming days. For all Rook information, and including information about how you can support us and become a patron of our program, rookmedia.com is where all of our episodes and our guests reside. Thanks to the amazing team who put this show together, the fabulous Keon, Super Patty So, Thoughtful Nagin, Pods of the Artist, Producer Susan, Savvy Roham, Aray Merdad, Sponsorship Sean, Captain Reza and Groovy Shia. Thank you to all of you out there supporting us and sharing our content. Please subscribe if you haven't done so already. Find me on Instagram at Gian Gomeshi. Mizun Bashi. Bashi.